Hey guys, you are listening to Killer Cocktails, where the drinks are stiff, but the bodies are stiffer. This is a casual true crime podcast where two friends get drunk and talk about gruesome murders. Each week we pick a different drink whose name or ingredients set the tone for our stories. Hey guys, welcome back to another week of Killer Cocktails. This week we are drinking the Painkiller. This is tasty. I really like it. Um, I ha- I've i only had homemade pina coladas and I hate them because mm. I don't think anyone's making them right. Yeah. This was super easy and coconutty and delicious. Yes. I had these. Uh, the first time I had these was in Costa Rica and my friends, we loved them. Mm. Pretty sure we had a painkiller every day of yeah. that vacation. Um, yeah. No, this is super good. Um, if you want to do the legit painkiller, you have to use Pussers. Pussers. Oh, shit. <laughs> he looked it up and everything. Pussers rum. Sorry. Pussers rum. And so you do Pussers rum. You do some... It's a dark rum. If yeah. you have any other dark rum. You can't legally call it a painkiller. Yeah. You they just trademarked it. Call Ooh. it a cocktail. You can hear my eye roll over the <laughs> microphone. Uh, but then you have your pineapple juice and orange juice and your coconut cream. Do not get coconut milk. You need that thick cream. And then a little nutmeg on the top. <laughs> Um, and then you just shake it all up and you pour it in a coconut and drink it. Just kidding. You pour it in any glass you like. So all the ones that we had in Costa Rica were blended. Mm. I think now I'm not a blended margarita person. I really like them on the rocks, but I think this is better blended. This is super good. And I got this recipe from the Pusser's website. Yeah. Cause they're particular. Yes. And they're, it's trademarked. So thank you for that. And it's a tasty rum. Oh, it's so good. Oh, this is so good. What was the little stuff you put on top? Nutmeg. Mm-hmm. Lots of drinks call for a little bit of nutmeg little on top. Da, da, da. So, yeah, I finally went and bought one because every other cocktail that we do wants a dash. Yeah. Um, but speaking of Pusser's rum, um, so I've got this little information of the history of the cocktail from their website. Okay. So the Painkiller Cocktail got its start in the British Virgin Islands at a bar known as the Soggy Dollar. The six, yes. <laughs> the six seat bar has no dock, and the only way to get there is to swim up to it. So your dollars get wet. Wet. Hence, swim up bar. All of it's dollar. great. I love it. <laughs> uh, so the story goes that an English bartender by the name of Daphne Henderson concocted a secret recipe using um, Pusser's rum, okay. pineapple juice, orange juice, cream of coconut, and nutmeg to create the cocktail that came to be known as the Painkiller. The cocktail was an instant hit, and everyone on the island loved them. The founder of Pusser's Rum, Charles Toby- Tobias, grew curious about the cocktail that was made using his rum, so he mm-hmm. decided to visit Daphne um, at her, the bar and try it for himself. This is cool. Did he have to swim up and have a soggy dollar? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so Charles loves the cocktail, and he becomes super good friends with Daphne, and uh, is just like, hey, what's in this? Like, this is amazing. I'd love to know the recipe. And she's like, I'm not going to tell you. So two years goes by, and then uh, he's able to finally steal one of the drinks from the bar and take it back to her. And like, what do you call that when you work it backwards? You, I don't know, you're dissecting it, but there's a word. It involves the word backwards. (sighs) Anyway, (laughs) people Um, do it with like, with recipes, with medicines and yeah. yeah. Um, So he goes back to his boat and he's taking it all apart and he's like trying to put it all back together and he makes something very similar, um, but it's a little bit less sugary. And so he decides to start serving his version of the painkiller at his own pub. And everyone likes it better. Where is his pub? Is it in the same general area? Yeah. I don't like this guy. Um, And 
Uh, so he ultimately takes the cocktail around the world because he's sailing all around. At first, I liked him. Mm-hmm. I told you it's a little shysty. At first, I didn't like it on principle that it's a trademarked drink name. Mm-hmm. It just really bugs me. Then I was like, okay, you mis you misjudged. You over upset about it. He swam up. He did the whole thing. Now he's stolen the drink, and I dislike him again. Yeah. Um, the the website makes it sounds very sweet, but he yeah, definitely course, yeah. We're reading between the lines here. <laughs> um, so again, he takes it around the world. Um, everyone starts drinking the painkillers, uh, but he still gives credit to Daphne as the inspiration for the drink. <laughs> and that's your history of the painkiller cocktail. It's a pain. Uh, <laughs> it, it was a real joy special in that I was annoyed the whole time. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> um, <clears throat> okay, painkillers. Yeah. Uh, I'm We're jumping into the murders now. Yes. Yes. There's no more history, no more nope, recipe. Nope. That's it. <clears throat> All I'll tell you is sometimes we tell you to drink the drinks. Sometimes we tell you not to. Drink this drink. This is nice. If you're of age, this is so tasty. And we chose this because... We're kind of in the in between like huge snowstorms here. And yeah, it's gonna. St- I'm gonna be snowed in tomorrow, <laughs> and we really wanted to. I don't know, transport ourselves to the, the islands. islands. <laughs> <laughs> um, so definitely make this as soon as you can and join us on this island of murder. Um, okay, let me pull up my story here. So, how I got this story is I told you that. My friend was getting her hair done at my friend's salon. This is down in California. Yeah. And she walks in. She's like, oh, Mallory, I got to tell you. And she starts describing uh, a podcast. She starts describing my favorite murder. And Mallory's like, but she doesn't say the name of the podcast yet. So she's describing it. And then Mallory goes, are you talking about Jackie's podcast? And then my friend Ty Ty's like, Jackie has a podcast? <laughs> so then later I get a text from Ty Ty that's like, so excited. I love it. Blah, blah, blah. It's like hearing your voice. This is so fun. Then I get a text a couple days later, maybe, because you and I had talked about that. Yeah. That says, you have to do this murder. It was down the street from where I lived. Oh, my God. So this is a, a Sacramento murder. The Where it happened was literally down the street from my friend's house. Okay. And her friend lived right next door. Oh, Jesus. So I'm going to tell you about Dorothea Puente. Oh, I know. Wait, wait, I feel like I know this. Okay. It's famous. Okay. So uh, she was born January 9th, 1929. Yeah, a little bit older. <laughs> a little bit older. Uh, her mother was Trudy. Her dad was Jesse James Gray. Jesse James. And he was a bit of a, he wasn't quite, outlaws a little, I think, stretching it. But um, both her mother and father were raging alcoholics. Okay. And they were kind of in extreme poverty. Her dad was a cotton picker, mm. if that gives you like a time frame. Yeah, wow. Um, and both of them were abusive to her. So she had a really rough childhood. Physically and verbally? I think physically and probably emotionally as well. Um, her her dad died of tuberculosis when she was like eight or nine. And then a year later, her mom died in a motorcycle accident. Oh, wow. So she ends up in an orphanage. Did you say she has siblings or no? Just her. Oh, just her. Okay. But then when she's in the orphanage and when she's growing up, she kind of just becomes this liar. And she makes up these stories about how she was from Mexico and that she had a ton of siblings. Her lies, like, she starts telling people that she's in, that she's an actress in a movie that she's obviously not the actress in. Yeah. Um, she'll 
say that she survived like historical tragedies. She said that she survived the Hiroshima bombing. What? She'll say that, uh, I mean, it's just kind of crazy. Like that yeah. her uncle is the ambassador of Sweden. Like yeah. just lies. She, she's trying to take herself out of reality. Yes. And, yes. Yeah. Um, she ends up marrying this guy. Uh, he's, a, he's in the military and his name is Fred McFall. 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 M-C-F-A-U-L. Fred McFall. Um, and they have two kids, but she's 16. Oh. So she's getting married at 16 oh. to the, yeah. I mean, of the time. Mm. Uh, uh. So Fred's mother raises one of the kids. Okay. And the other kid gets put up for adoption. Okay. And then uh, like a year or so later, she has a miscarriage. So the, the relationship with Fred doesn't last super long. Um, and he either thinks that she's cheating on him. Or that she's uh, kind of dabbling in, like, being a sex worker. Okay. But so he, like... Because she's out. She's the... out. Okay. She loves fancy things. <clears throat> they don't really have money to afford fancy things, but she has these fancy things. So he's like, either people are getting her presents, or she's making money on the side somehow, or... Yeah. So the the marriage with Fred ends, um, and she ends up marrying this guy named Axel Johansson. And they're married for, like, 14 years, and it's kind of, like, tumultuous, and... Uh, abusive. I think they both like beat up on each other. Um, She goes to jail for a year for forging checks. Okay. So this is the first like break with the law that she's had. Is that what we're thinking she was doing before to get all the nice things? Maybe. We're not sure. We don't really. It's kind of, there's not a lot of details there. Um, So she goes to jail and then she gets out. She starts working as a nurse's, uh, nurse's aide she's taking care of like disabled and elderly people mm-hmm. in home um she and axel divorce she marries this guy uh puente mm-hmm. and he's either she travels to mexico and meets him like they get married in mexico city but then they're back up in the u.s like the sacramento-ish area mm-hmm. and she uh like they're only married for two years or so and in this time she like happens she's like comes across this uh like boarding house like a big like a 16 room place uh-huh. and she I, she's the owner of it she divorces puente but she kind of keeps his name and that's the name everyone knows her by and she starts like boarding elderly people yes um at the same and then she's also still doing i think some kind of in care so she while all of this like the timeline of that's kind of muddy to me but she ends up going back to jail again because she is drugging painkillers she's drugging uh elderly and disabled people and then robbing them yeah so this one guy was like i'm incapacitated but i'm watching her rob me (gasps) oh could you imagine oh it's horrible god so then and and she's hired as help Mm -hmm. so so she's definitely taking advantage of you know taking advantage of people so she ends up going to jail for that i think she has like a five-year sentence for that she gets this pen pal this guy uh, what is Everson Gilmouth? He lives in Oregon, and he's this guy. He's like seventy-seven years old, and he starts um, like uh, he has a bunch of different pen pals in women's prisons. It's like his thing. Okay, and they start writing to it, and at some point in their correspondence, he says that he's living off of a relatively like a sizable pension, mm. and she's like, "I'm owning." So he drives. Uh, to pick her up when she's released early. So she Which gets is out. a lie about the pension. Because he's just 
Oh, he's no, he does. No, he okay. is living off a pension. Okay. Yeah, she's just constantly looking for people yeah. on pensions, and she's stealing their check, like government yeah. checks. Um, so that was part of what put her away. Was she was also in these homes where she's drugging people, she's stealing their government checks. I was and just forging them. He was lying because he like <clears throat> has all these pen pals. So I just imagine him like no, embellishing he's, stuff. I think he's just a sad old guy. So he drives in his red Ford pickup to pick her up. She's getting out of jail early. So she's supposed to be there for five years. She gets out at three. And so he picks her up. Then uh, she moves into this apartment and this old lady moves in with her and she brings $6,000 cash and she dies shortly after moving in. She dies of an overdose of uh, Tylenol with codeine. Hmm. And basically, Dorothea says she was really sad that her husband was uh, ill, and um, so it gets ruled a suicide. Yeah. And then uh, she starts, like, hanging around this bar. So she's still kind of with the old, the, with the, what's his name, with Everson. Like, he's still around. Yeah. She starts hanging out in these bars trying to find older dudes that are living off pensions, and then she's stealing their checks. Part of the conditions of her parole are that she is not allowed to uh, work with, engage with elderly people. Ugh. So already her hanging out with Everson's a problem. Yeah. And she's not allowed to have access to or anywhere near government checks. <laughs> so she promptly opens up a, uh, a home where she has elderly people who are living off of government Jesus. pensions. And... She kind of takes care, like, you get mixed results from people that didn't die that lived there um, because she's kind of strict about, like, you're not allowed to answer the phone. You're not allowed to check the mail. Like, she is in control of all correspondence. You get... That's a red flag. You get two hot meals. You have a bed. Two? Mm -hmm. Do I get cold breakfast? What's going on? I don't know. Cereal? What about oatmeal? So, you're fed. Like, it's kind of bare minimum. Okay. But she also part of, like, so... <clears throat> social workers came to it was during a time where it was very hard to find housing mm. for quote-unquote difficult people who okay. were either troublesome mm. or were severely disabled or didn't make much like if there was any sort of thing where another border would have been like that's too much trouble she's all about it because she's just gonna kill them yeah so they're placing people in her home she's they're alive some of the time and she's cashing their checks, but then she's also killing them to make room for another person to come in so that she more. can get more checks. Yeah. So, so like if you didn't have en- enough money coming in, she'd kill you. Yeah. Or like if your family's becoming an issue, like does she t- take life insurance out on people? No too? life insurance. Okay, she's, just... it's just government checks. All right. She has her thing. She, uh, but she does like her pull, like she was that house, the big giant house full of old people yeah. was visited 15 times by, by her, s- by parole. Jesus. And not only did they not see that she's running some sort of Did she lock them all in their rooms? She'd say that they were visiting family members. She would say, like, she's just a, she's a master manipulator. Wow. She's like, you know, a spinner of words. Yeah. Somehow gets out of the fact that she's got these, that she's running a business she 100% should not be running. Yeah. Um, And they're not background checking her. Like, she's picking up slack in a market where... So yeah. no one's asking any questions because they need them to go somewhere. Yeah. It's, just, it's a, ba- it's a yeah. mess. She looks like an angel of mercy coming through and like yeah. helping everybody. Yeah. So at one point she hires this handyman to wood panel her apartment. So he comes and he does. Her apartment or the house? I, there's two different address. I think there's an okay. apartment on, this, on F Street. F Street in Sacramento. She's got an apartment that's either attached to this house or it's very close okay. by. 
But he comes and he does the work. And then as payment, so she's like, you were so great, blah, blah, blah. Um, I'm going to give you either my current boyfriend or my ex-boyfriend's uh, red pickup truck. He's down in L.A. and doesn't need it. Uh-huh. So she gives him this truck. And then she goes, hey, could you do me a favor? And he's like, yeah, what do you need me to do? Because this is a nice old lady that just gave him a truck. Yeah. Um, and she plays up being an old lady. Like, for some of this, she's, like, in her 50s. Yeah. Um, by the time she's caught, she's, like, in her 60s. Like, she's not old, old. old. No. Um, but she, like, wears big old glass. Like, you uh, look at photos. She plays it she's up. She's playing yeah. it up. So she asks him to make her a box. She's going to put some stuff in it. She needs a box to store things. I need it six Six feet by three feet (laughs) by two feet. Oh, that's a coffin. So he makes her a coffin. (laughs) And it's up. It's Oh, this is in that same. It's in the same building. And then I need you to dig me a hole. No. (laughs) He makes makes the coffin. Okay. And he delivers it. And then he's like, cool. Awesome. Then she calls him back. And she's like, it is so heavy. Can you help me move it? And he's like, yeah, all right. So then he shows up and it's nailed shut. Doesn't know what's in it. Nailed shut. That's Kool-Aid dripping out of the corner. But it's super heavy. So they get a neighbor. And the neighbor and this handyman carry this heavy box full of old lady trinkets downstairs. And she wants him to load it into the truck. And she wants him to help her take it to a storage place. It's just stuff she doesn't need in the house. And he's like, yeah, all right. So they're driving, and they're almost to the storage place. And she goes, "Genius woman, you know what? This is just a bunch of old stuff. I don't need it. Pull over. Let's dump it in the river." And he does. What? (laughs) Not even the dump. It's just like no. They literally dump it in the river. And I'm assuming it's the Sacramento River, that big giant river. What the shit? Yeah, it's crazy. Oh yeah. So they do that. Then, uh, so that was, I think, the first. Oh. The so, first oh, trinket oh, oh, box. Oh. <laughs> so that trinket box. Um, the box is found. It's a while, so some decom- you know decomposition has happened. These fishermen find it, oh. and they're like, "That box straight up smells like death." The police open it up. There's a body inside. Uh. It's unidentified for three years. Uh. Do you know whose body it was? Elvis. It was Everson. It was the old man. Oh, her boyfriend. Yeah. Or- Oh, I mean, yeah, yeah. So, so that's going on. Then she just starts killing the people that are there. She's killing them. She's so police still don't really know. They think she had to have had help to like move because she there was like the kill room, but it was upstairs. What? She'd bring them in. She'd lay them on the ground. She'd like restrain. She'd drug them and restrain them. Some of like sometimes they found just a torso. Oh, yeah. So, no. do you think any of the other people ever in the house knew what was going on? Some would complain to the social worker, and be like, "I haven't seen Joe in forever," and then she'd lie about, "Well, Joe went to go visit his family." Yeah. Like so, but she's seen but again, yeah. she's choosing very particular people to live oh. in this house because she can take advantage of it. Yeah, and so. There's this homeless guy that lives in the area who's an alcoholic that everyone kind of knew in the neighborhood, and his name was Chief. And Chief kind of became her handyman as well. Oh, no. And Chief would carry, he would, like, dig up the basement and move dirt around. And he, So there's a theory that, like, Chief kind of helped, but then Chief disappeared. Oh, no. And it all kind of comes to a head when, so she is, oh, 
So a social worker has a very has someone on their docket on their case, and they go to check on them, and they're not there, and she's making up these lies, and they're so the social worker's concerned. So the social worker talks to the police and goes, "Hey, can you visit this this house?" Yeah. So then the police show up, and she's being kind of I can't remember what she does that kind of alerts their attention, uh, but there's freshly like disturbed soil in the backyard. Okay. And police are like, hmm. So then they go and start digging around and they find a boot with a foot in it. No. They're like, well, let's, okay, close it down. Let's bring in some bigger. So then they bring in like tools and stuff. She's not arrested. She's hanging around. She's watching them dig up her yard. Yeah. And they've got these big, and they're finding bodies. (laughs) Oh my God. Bodies in the backyard. And she goes up to a police officer. I'm going to interject. My friend who told me about this story, who lived up the street, she goes, uh, we, let me, I'll read the text because this is so crazy. Uh, I interject myself. She goes, dude, I grew up two blocks, two blocks from her. Excuse me. Her bestie lived next door. She would have her Halloween decorations up in September and would invite us over (gasps) to like check them out. She was when we found out, we remembered eating oranges from her yard. No! Oh! The yard with bodies in it. Oh! <laughs> what a weird old lady. So no. they're digging up bodies in her backyard. Oh. She goes up to a cop and she goes, hey, am I under arrest or can I like go get a cup of coffee? And the cop goes, uh, no, you're not under arrest. What? Let me, this is kind of a zoo. Let me get you through all these people. And escort her down to the coffee shop. Oh, he went with her. Then he leaves. Leaves oh, her. God damn have, it. And she's gone. Of course. <laughs> so God, she's good. They can't find her for a while. They think she's in Mexico, maybe. Why wouldn't she be arrested? It's her house. <laughs> she has this record. She's just a sweet what old lady, Drea. What year is it? How did these bodies get in this sweet old oh, lady's I yard? So... <laughs> This is in the 90s, I think. This is infuriating. <laughs> so then uh, they find her in like some CD motel down in L.A. So they do find her. They bring her back up. Um, the trial gets moved to Monterey. Hey! And hey! it lasts a whole year. Wow. Which is a long. Why did they move it up there? Because everybody knew about Everyone it Everyone knew there. about it. Okay. Yeah. So they move it to give her a fair trial. I think her attorneys made a case. Yeah. And... The whole the trial lasts a whole year, which is a very long time for a yeah. trial to last. Um, they don't have a lot of, and part of that is because they don't really have a lot of evidence. All these bodies they found are so decomposed, they can't find a cause of death. Kill room? They can't like get a bunch of blood from the kill room? There's not a lot of physical evidence. God so what she's saying is, these are old people. All of them have documented old people diseases. They just died, and I just buried them in the backyard. Oh, so she missed and I. Yeah, she's like, I just, I mean, yeah, I stole their money. I didn't kill anybody. <laughs> so she's admitting to being a thief. Yeah. And uh, what do you call it? Stealing identities. Mm-hmm. But she's saying, I didn't kill a single one of them. Yeah. They died. Yeah. And I just, as a way to keep getting their checks, buried the body and kept doing this. It's like Robert Durst, you know? He didn't kill a guy, but he I mutilated had say, and I thought of that too. <laughs> transported the body. <laughs> so that's kind of what she's saying. So the jury is... Like, 11 to 1, they're going to convict, and this one person's holding out. So they, and ultimately, they, they, oh, the jury deliberates for 24 days. Whoa. That's, oh, my god! I think it set a record. If it's not the record, it's close to the record. That is a a very long deliberation. Yes. 
Um, to give you a context, when we when I did the four local story, Curtis Flowers, one of those juries went away for an hour. Wow. And I remember being floored by that. Even if it's like a slam dunk shut, I can't imagine talking as a group for an hour and deciding that someone's going to die. Yeah. I would feel like we all kind of, yeah, but let's, let's, let's go t- over this again. Touch on all the evidence. An hour is so, anyway, so 24 days they deliberate. Um, she gets convicted of three murders. So okay. one is the first old lady that moved in with the 6K that they had the body. They'd done talk screens. They knew she had been. So they had that one on her and then a couple others. Did um, they not convict on all of them just in case she got off on those? They wanted some backups? Yeah, well, no, and like, and they just can't prove it. Prove it. Okay. So like, they're like, we got her. It's going to be life in prison. There's no parole. Okay. Why? You know, the only reason to push is you've got victims' families who want it attributed yeah. to her. And it just takes longer with every trial that yeah. you have to and go it, through. It yeah. us, you know, it costs the state a bunch of money. Um, she went to a women's prison in Central California, which is the nation's largest. Women's? Mm-hmm. Prison? Women's largest prison is in California. Wow. We have a huge pop- you know, yeah. population down there. Uh, and then she died of old age in 2011. Wow. That's crazy. I, like, knew... I knew, like, a brief summary of what it's she did. It's been on a bunch of different, like, yeah. show. Like, it was big news then, and I'm sure, you know, podcasts and stuff have covered it. Yeah. But That's... that was, like, my friend texted me that. I was like, oh, what? Yeah. This is not only a really crazy story, but, like, that's nuts that she ate oranges that came from Jack's No! <laughs> that Ow. was so gross. Do you know if the house is still there? Did they demolish so it? So it's still there, okay. and they, like, it's part of the city tour. No, Ugh. people go on tours and it gets like shown off. I'm like this is the kill. Like it's like the Winchester Mystery House, but so much grosser. Hmm. There was an episode of some ghost show. Yeah, where like like mediums have gone in. Like there's okay. It, it's it's definitely an exploited uh, thing building. Yeah. Oh. Um. All right. We'll take that's, a little break. Yeah, that's my story. Um. Dude, Jackie, good story. That was good. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you to my friend Ty Ty. Thanks, Ty Ty. All right, guys, welcome back. Um, we just took a short break. We actually didn't do anything. <laughs> here we go. But here we go. Um, I wanted to give a shout out to one of our listeners, though. Um, someone did recommend the painkiller cocktail to us, and uh, her Instagram handle is Ashley M Man with two N's. And thank you for this recommendation. So tasty. These are super tasty. They are. Bringing me way back to vacation. Days. They are sneaky cocktails, though. That yeah, that was like one of the first <laughs> things I said to you. I was like, "This is tasty, <laughs> sneaky, sneaky." Gotta be careful with the sneaky drinks. <laughs> um, okay, so I'm gonna <clears throat> jump right into my murder. I'm gonna tell you about um, Dana Sue Gray. Okay. So hey, mine's maiden name was Gray. Hey. Hmm. Uh, Dana Sue Gray was born Dana Sue Armburst on December sixth. Armburst. Uh huh. <laughs> that's an interesting name uh, i've never heard that name before um she was born on december 6th of 1957 in southern california and her mother was beverly uh nie arnett and russell armburst uh, Ar- uh russell worked as a hairdresser and had three previous marriages before mer- marrying beverly um and beverly was a former beauty queen okay um they unfortunately had three miscarriages before um, Dana was born, and according to Dana, her mom was uh, an aggressive, vain woman. She would frequently max out her husband's credit cards, and Dana's parents finally divorced when her father found her mother fighting with an older woman who had pissed her off. 
So Dana was two years old at the time and rarely saw her father after the divorce. Uh, Dana started to act out to get attention, and so her mom would try to discipline her. However, Dana would just retaliate by stealing money to buy candy and would occasionally <laughs> go into violent tantrums. All right. So she's still a kid. Yeah. <laughs> um, in school, she did not get along with her classmates, and she did poorly in her classes. She was actually suspended a couple times because she would write fake notes getting her out of class. Oh, my God. <laughs> I did that once and got caught immediately. Were you like... This is the teacher in Cran. <laughs> no, it was in high school. I feel like I've told this story. We were, it was high school, and I'd signed up for, like, to bring a present to an underprivileged kid or whatever it was. I show up, and my friend goes, hey, where's your present? And I went, <gasps> and I was like, I can't not, like, I felt horrible. So I was like, I got to go to Toys R Us, and I got to go buy this present. And she's like, well, just write a note. Just, you know, write, I'll wrap it up at the attendance office for you. And I was like, oh, and my dad has the easiest signature to forge. So I was like, I'll write a note for my dad. Bah, bah, bah. I've yeah. never done this before. My heart's racing. I hand it to my friend. She goes and turns it in. They promptly call my father <gasps> because they don't have, and my dad works from home. They didn't have his signature on file because my mom writes all the notes. Oh, <laughs> no. He was like, uh, I don't remember what he said. to them. I didn't get in trouble with school, so he must have just covered for me. Yeah. And then later he's like, what are you doing not going to class? <laughs> And you're like, oh, I bought a present for a kid. That's anyway. like the purest. I know. Reason. It was ridiculous. <laughs> to skip class. Get out of here. All right. So when Dana was 14, her mother developed breast cancer. And after seeing her go through that process, Dana decided she wanted to be a nurse. So after her mother's death, Dana moved in with her father, but was forced to leave after her stepmom found uh, some marijuana in her room. Mm. Um, a few years later, she started dating a skydiving instructor what? named Rob, um, who got her pregnant twice, um, but he convinced her to get um, abortions, and um, she was not happy about it. Yeah. Uh, so Dana becomes this serious athlete who is very fit and beautiful and has this really pretty blonde hair. Uh, Dana graduates from Newport Harbor High School in 1976. She starts living with her skydiving instructor. Yeah. And for the next several years, he helps her with nursing school. Uh, in the meantime, she becomes an expert skydiver. In 1981, she graduates from nursing school and for the next few years uh, has an on-again, off-again relationship with another man named Chris Dodson, who is a windsurfer. And Dana actually... Right now, she just kind of seems like a cool chick. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, she actually gets super good at windsurfing and golf. And like, When is she going to start murdering people? Uh, soon. Ah, oh, what's, <laughs> what's, what's the turn? <laughs> but isn't that rad? She, like, they would go to Hawaii and just I love windsurf. It. And, yeah. yeah. Uh, She'd have a great Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> she would. Uh, so in October of 1987, Dana marries a musician named William, or we'll call him Bill, Gray, at an upscale winery in the Temecula, Temecula area. Mm -hmm. um, he is also a sports enthusi enthusiast who is known, oh, who had known Dana since high school and had like always admired her. Okay. Um, however, the marriage quickly goes south when Dana gets them into some serious debt. Her family would describe Dana's obsession with money as nuts, not even normally greedy, but crazy. Everything mm. was sacrificed to the God of narcissism. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so Dana actually heard about her uh, great aunt who was going senile, and um, she was giving her estate to Dana's stepbrothers. And Dana huh. actually went to the house and, like, hounded her until she signed a document stating that her estate would be split three ways. And then uh, people Dana... Get, people get so weird so... with family members and wills and shit. Yeah. And so Dana goes through her house and starts pointing at everything she wants. And Craig Ward, one of Gray's um, 
or Dana's stepbrothers recalled her telling their aunt, when you die, I want this China, uh, China cup. <laughs> there I had some family member, I think my mom told me this story, where she would keep post-it notes uh-huh. on the bottom of everything for who it was going to. <laughs> and when like people would be talking, she'd be like, hmm. And she'd go like, pull the post-it off. <laughs> like, don't upset her. You're not going to get that China. You're not going to get this plate. <laughs> Do you want the whole set? <laughs> Oh, my gosh. Uh, So Dana is a labor and delivery nurse at Inland Valley Regional Medical Center. Her and Bill live in a gated community on Canyon Lake, which is built around a golf course and a man-made lake carved from the desert of Riverside County. Hmm. Dana then leaves her husband in early 1993, because they're not doing so hot, and moves in with her friend and lover, Jim Wilkins, and his young son, Jason. In June of 1933, oh, no, 1993, she files for divorce from Bill. Then in September of 1993, she and Bill filed for bankruptcies to try to uh, save their house on Canyon Lake because okay. it's um, about to go into foreclosure. Got it. Because um, of all the debt she's racking mm-hmm. up. Um, on November 24th, 1993, she is fired from the hospital when she w- was unable to account for more than 21 doses of painkillers she claimed were lost, wasted, or broken. Yeah. I feel like she's now in the time frame... Where you probably could have gotten away with stealing medicine in the 70s as a nurse. You probably could have gotten away with stealing medicine in the 80s. Mm-hmm. But she's not in those time periods. She's in the 90s. People are, like, keeping track of things now. It's not the prime of the time. Not for stealing drugs. Nope. Okay, so now we're going to jump into the victims. This is such a strange... Okay, so she's been leaving this, like, rad girl life. Uh-huh. And now the first real trouble is now she has to account for some missing medicine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, like, her family is saying that she's always been obsessed with money and, like, shopping. So, and then, so she has that. And then she, her family also said she was just very, I don't know, vain. She's, she's and materialistic. Like, she's, yeah, materialistic. Narcissist, like, it's all about her. And she has to have her way. And if, yeah. she, if you don't give it to her, she will find a way to have her way. She's manipulative. Yes. Okay. Um, so she's in a ton of debt from her previous marriage. And um, so on February 14th, 1994. Valentine's D- Day. Oh, hey. <laughs> Calendars. <laughs> Calendars. Uh, Dana contacts Bill's parents to ask him if he will meet up with her. And she had to go through his parents because he's like, I am not telling you my address or phone number. Oh, wow. Do not contact me. So on Valentine's Day, she calls his parents and is like, tell Bill to come meet with me. Mm-hmm. He won't talk to me. Yeah. Okay. I, I have to talk to him about something about the divorce. Yeah. Um, and so Bill initially agrees to meet up with her, but ends up blowing off the meeting. Yeah. Uh, Bill would later find out that Dana had taken out an insurance policy on him. How? I don't understand how you can take out an insurance policy on someone else without their consent. Yeah, it's insane. Is that currently how laws are? I mean, this comes up a lot in our murder stories. Yeah. I would like to think that currently... It's changed. It's changed. Yeah. I That's something I'd have to look into. Like, one, you 100% shouldn't be able to do it first. Like, I should not be able to take one out on you. There's <laughs> no relation to each other. Yeah. And even, like, like I, I shouldn't be able to just take one out on my sister. Mm-hmm. I, you should, like... Yeah. 
Uh, even a spouse, you should have to have their consent. Mm-hmm. I 100% agree. I don't know why that was even a This is a thing. nuts. This is like a, an aside, but one of the stories I was listening to, uh, dude was getting on an airplane, or he was dropping off his mom at the airport, and they had vending machine life insurance policies. So you put in 25 cents, get no. like a 10,000, no. 20,000. That's not real. Yes, it's real. And he got like a 20,000 one off on his mom because he had like put a bomb in her suitcase because he was fucking going to kill her on the airplane. And- like, that was already his plan? And then he's yeah. like, what? I can double dip? No, no. Like, that was his, he, like. He was always going to do it that yeah. way. He was always going to get the little yeah. vending machine. Because why not go get a vending machine one instead of having to go to a person? <laughs> I don't. What year was that? I don't know. It was, like, when planes were just starting to become, like, you're still smoking on the plane, you know? Pan Am. Yeah. And people are like, well, I might as well take an insurance policy out before I go just that in case is... my family needs. What can't you get from a vending machine? <laughs> So, insurance policy. So, the policy would have paid off the Canyon Lake house in the event of Bill's death. Yup. Wow. Now I'm going to tell you about Norma Davis. Oh. Norma Davis is 86 years old, and oh. she is the, bear with me here, she is the ex-mother-in-law of Dana's stepmother. Nope, you lost me already. Okay. So, Dana had a stepmother who kicked her out of the house when she was young. Yes. That stepmother, I, I believe her name is Jerry, G-E-R-I. Okay. She had previously been married, but that has been died. Yeah. And so the mother, she had a mother-in-law from that marriage. Okay. So it's her ex-mother-in-law from that previous marriage. So it's, what's your gal's name? Dana. Dana's great-grandmother-in-law. Yes. It's her yeah, because stepmom. Well, stepmom. Yeah. Not at all, but yeah. I get it now. Okay. So they're <clears throat> very, very extended family, not by blood. Yeah. But they know of each other. Yes. Um, so on February 16th, 1994, Norma is found dead by her neighbor, Alice Williams. It was determined that she was murdered on the night of February 14th, the day Dana was supposed to meet with Bill. Okay. Okay. So Alice finds Norma with a wood, oh, it's about to get graphic, with a wood handled utility knife sticking out of her neck and a fillet knife sticking out of her chest. This is an old lady? Yeah, she's 86. I know. Um, there's a bloodied afghan that is, like, at her feet, and detectives... An t- afghan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she's such an old lady. Uh, detectives learn, uh, learn that there was no forced entry into the house, and they also find a Nike shoe print pointed toward the kitchen. On the first floor of Norma's condo, a smear of blood was found on an armchair, and a ripped-out phone cord was also found. A crime scene. Mm-hmm. Now I'm going to tell you about June Roberts. Another old lady? Another old lady. Then, on February 28th, 1994, June Roberts, who is 66 years old, is murdered. June. Oh, 60s. <laughs> she's, not, she's not an old lady. Older. She's not <clears throat> ready to go yet. No. Uh, June, like Norma, lived in the gated community of Canyon Lake, which is also where Dana's house mm-hmm. is. So Dana drives up to June's house and she leaves her stepson, Jason, in the car. Dana's in like her 40s right now? Feels right. Mm, let's go with that. Yeah. She's younger. Late, late, late 30s, early 40s, maybe. If you, if you, here, I'll, I'll do it. When was she born? 59? 1957. 57. Oh, I was like, she's a thousand something years old. <laughs> she's a vampire. <laughs> oh my God. She's 36. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, who am I telling you about? June. Okay, so Dana is 36 years old, and 
June is 66. All right. So Dana drives up to June's house and she leaves her stepson Jason in the car while she goes up to borrow a book from June. I can't, I couldn't really figure out if they knew each other or just maybe in passing, I think, because they kind of in the neighborhood. Yeah. So she June, leaves her stepkid in the car while she goes to kill this old lady. We don't know if she's going to kill her. That's what I think is going to happen. Yeah, she is. Okay. So he's just like playing Game Boy. Mm hmm. She would later be like, I didn't think I was going to be that long. So I just left him in the car. She's a narcissist. Mm-hmm. So June lets Dana into her house. And while June is looking for a book, Dana unplugs June's phone, both the straight cord to the wall and the curly co- cord. She uses the curly cord to strangle June. She then straps her to a chair and beats her with a wine bottle until she's dead. I don't ugh. Yeah. Which is insane because usually with female killers you're seeing more poison or you know beating an elderly lady with a wine bottle is intense yeah strangling her kid is waiting in the car yeah strangling her with a telephone cord oh so dana then starts going through june's stuff and she takes two credit cards less than an hour later dana is ordering crab cakes and scampi with june's credit card at wine country cafe in temecula temecula wow yeah if that kind of wow. sets the tone for yeah. you. Yeah. She then get, goes to a salon to have her eyebrows waxed. She gets a perm for herself and a haircut for her stepson, which costs $164. Let's not forget that Dana's fun. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> no, no, now no, she's no. Got a, now she's got a stolen credit card. <laughs> she's got to treat herself yeah. after murdering someone. Yeah. Oh, my oh, God. Oh, man. So she then spends $511 on a black suede jacket and several pairs of cowboy boots. She's she's <laughs> she's funny. She spends one sixty one on a pair of diamond drop earrings, all charged to June's credit cards. Does she really like? What kind of idiot is she? Really? I think she's in her own. You just killed the how? Like, come on. She's in her own space. She's like, I'm not. I'm not going to get caught. We saw that with Ted Bundy. Yeah. It's not me. It's not me. I'm so superior to you. You can't catch me. Um. So she. I know her name for a reason. <laughs> Yes. Um, so on the way home, she actually swings by a drugstore and she buys some dog treats, two bottles of Smirnoff, and a toy police helicopter. Two bottles of Smirnoff? Yeah. She wants to have a couple drinks before <laughs> bed. Um, okay. So now I'm going to tell you about Dorinda Hawkins. Oh, here we go. Yep. Then, um, so Dorinda Hawkins is 57 years old. Um, she's working alone at an antique store. Mm. Dana comes in to buy a picture frame for a photo of her deceased mother, which is legit. She came in there to get a picture frame. Dana then just strangles her with a telephone cord and beats her to death with a house. This is all in a very short window. Like, she's spree-ish. Yeah, yeah. Um, she, so she's strangling her with the cord. She then beats her with a household iron. Mm-hmm. Dana takes $5 from Dorinda's purse and $20 from the cash register. She takes $5 from her purse uh-huh. and $20 from the cash register? Mm-hmm. But she's about to take her credit card, too. Okay. Um, an hour later, Dana goes on another shopping spree with the credit card. However, Dorinda is still alive, and she calls the police and gives detectives a description of Dana. Isn't that crazy? Mm-hmm. Now I'm going to tell you about Dora Beebe. Yeah. How many are we at? This is going to be the fourth? Fourth, yeah. Um, on March 16th, 1994, Dana sees Dora Beebe, who's 87, returning home from a doctor's appointment. Dana then knocks on Dora's door and asks for directions. 
Dora invites her inside to look at a map, and once inside, Dana attacks and kills Dora. Dora is found later that day by her boyfriend of eight years, Louis Stormid. <laughs> An hour later, Dana uses Dora's credit card to go on another shopping spree. Yeah. All right. It's just to buy a bunch of shit. Yeah. 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 All right. Uh, so now I'm going to tell you about uh, the detective side of it. So uh, Detective Joseph Greco of the Paris... Paris? Period. Paris. P-E-R-R-I-S. P-E-R-R-I-S. Paris? Yeah, Paris. I'd read it as Paris. <laughs> I agree. Paris Police Department. led the And he led the murder investigations uh, for Norma and June. So Joseph was promoted to the rank of corporal in 1992 and assigned as a as an investigator working on all major crimes against persons. The first victim, 87-year-old Norma Davis uh, case in 1994, was only Joseph's second homicide investigation. Green. Green. Uh, So Joseph suspected that June's and Norma's case were connected due to evidence collected in the case. But overall, detectives were having problems finding suspects earlier on. At one point, it was so hard to find a lead that the supervisor in charge recommended using a psychic. Okay. Both these people had stolen credit cards. Mm-hmm. How are we? Ha- where, how are we having a hard time coming up with leads? <laughs> Maybe. I mean, they have store cameras back then. Yeah. I don't know. At the very least, I would think this person died, and now there's charges happening on the day of their death and/or a mm-hmm. day after. Then you go down to that store, and then you talk to the cashier number five five two seven eight three. Yeah. Who did you, you know what I mean? Like, there there are leads. Maybe that's obvious. And then from that, nothing else is coming. It just seems silly otherwise. But maybe, like, they don't check the credit cards right away. Like, maybe that's That's not a thing. Job number one. It's the 90s, man. Mm, I mean, it's the 90s. Yeah. Mm, I don't know. Anywho, they can't figure it out. It's probably not as quick. Yeah. You probably have to call Visa (laughs) and go, can you pull these records? And they go, "Mm, we'll get back to you in three to five business days. Maybe that's (laughs) what's going on. Maybe. All right, so Dana was finally caught because her description was obtained from various merchants, and um, we just argued about all that for no reason. It's <laughs> <laughs> literally the next sentence out of your mouth. <laughs> oh, uh, that's funny. I like a good fight, though. <laughs> <laughs> but it's still they should have. You're right; they should have been on it before the descriptions. I don't know. Uh, yeah. Uh, also, because maybe they can't see the time it was used they could just be like here it was on this day and then they have to go through all that footage those podcasts that i listen to that whole drive up from uh tahoe uh-huh. there's just a lot of scrutiny about how detectives are detecting in the first very beginning of so now i'm yeah. really hypercritical about okay. it okay he was green you got a canvas you gotta ask you gotta talk to people you gotta <laughs> got footwork it uh boots on the ground man boots on the ground Okay, so they, they're starting to put together her description. Also, her stepmother, Jiri, J-E-R-I, mm-hmm. became a prime suspect in Norma's murder case until she gave a description of Dana, and then the pieces all started coming oh. together. But they, like, legit brought her down to the station. They're like, you did it. You killed her. You were the last one to see her. Like, you, because you, wow. she went over and she would take care of her and stuff. And so, it was, but they ended up, the te- detective and her actually became friends. Oh, I like it. Yeah. And they, she was, like, really instrumental of yeah. catching Dana. <clears throat> so he identified Dana as a potential suspect and wrote a search warrant for her residence in Lake... Oh, no. Eleanor? Elzel. 
Elsinore. That's a lake. E-L-S-I-N-O-R-E. Elsinore. Elsinore. All right. Lake Elsinore, California. Unbeknownst, unbeknownst to the team, Dana was murdering Dora just hours before they began following her. Later that day, Detective Greco arrested Dana while she was cooking dinner for her family. So during questioning, Dana claimed that she had never took the credit cards. After detectives said that they had evidence of her using them, Dana claimed she found both June's and Dora's cards. She stuck with uh, the story for hours. She claimed the reason she kept the cards was she had an overwhelming need to shop. She So her story is, I just found these ditched cards. Maybe someone murdered them and threw mm-hmm. the cards somewhere. I found them and I was like, cool, score. Yeah, and I'm just, I just love shopping. You know? Okay. Yeah. It's like, you're your gal. I didn't kill them. I just wanted their money. Yeah. Um, she also seemed to have no sympathy for the victims and said that they were condescending to her. So eventually she like cope, yeah, like cops up to everything. Um, but then she has this whole elaborate thing where they deserve to die. Yeah. And so asked what made her believe that June and her other victims were looking down on her. She added the arching of the eyebrow. That is what happened. All three. Yeah. For example, when she went to the antique store, she said that Dorinda's greeting to her was a put down. Dorinda was trying to make her feel insignificant. She gave me a look. She gave me a look saying, quote unquote, can I help you with crossed arms that to Dana indicated condensation. Condensation? No. (laughs) Condescension. Yes. Nice. (laughs) Um, She's like, I felt sick in my stomach. I wanted to vomit. I wanted her to die. So she is totally in her own head. Yeah. She, yeah. Dude. Okay. So what this made me think of, and I Googled it real quick. There is a thing <clears throat> called the narcissist prayer. Okay. And it goes like this. All right. The narcissist prayer. That didn't happen. And if it did, it wasn't that bad. And if it was, then it wasn't a big deal. And if it is, then it's not my fault. And if it was, I didn't mean it. And if I did, you deserved it. Oh, my God. Yeah. No, that to a T. That's her. <laughs> For sure. She doesn't feel remorse, which is crazy to me that she never had any really prior history of criminal activity except for the going into debt with the credit cards and like. I'm going to get I haven't seen a photo of her, but mm-hmm. I'm going to guess that she just kind of got away with being. A, oh, she was a bitchy, pretty girl. She was super pretty. Yeah. So it just she just like when she'd burn that bridge and people finally were done with her shit. Yeah. She'd just find another person to put up with her shit and then she'd burn that. Like she just kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Actually. Along yeah. Being pretty. And then it, it, you know, everyone will hit their break with somebody. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Actually, um, now that I said all that, I did remember reading and this hasn't been proven, but she was a nurse. And so she was around elderly patients so they think maybe she was killing but she was under the radar and so when she got oh fired her supply of victims ran out and then she went on this random what yeah, seems like a random, random murder yeah. spree which, which would kind of make more sense than it just being out All of, of the sudden, blue you're 36 yeah. and you just start murdering your neighbors yeah yeah weird yeah it's so crazy that she like it's so the remorselessness of it, where it's just like, I just needed to buy that leather jacket. Mm-hmm. Like, imagine your elderly mother is murdered, and the person who killed her is like, I wanted to go on a shopping spree. Yeah. I think it was more like she got satisfaction from the murders, because yeah. you can see that with the violence. Um, mm. But then to reward herself 
for this great thing she thought she just did, yeah. she would treat herself to the treat spa yourself. and the getting jackets and such. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so the search of Adina's house revealed the spoils of her shopping sprees. She had a closet full of new clothes, tags still attached. Is she with a guy at this point? She is with the stepson Jason's uh, father, which I can't remember. And that guy's not like, where the fuck are you getting all this stuff? I mean, probably. Weird. I mean, remember the spree happened really in a short short time. time. Yeah. We don't know that she was doing it before. And some people will like notice something and be like, I'm not confronting that person about that. (laughs) Um, Okay. So all these new clothes. She had boxes of Nike Air athletic shoes. Huh. Like boxes. There was a pair of Nikes mm-hmm. in the blood. She had a purple boogie board and a thousand. <laughs> I don't think you hear enough about boogie boarding. Boogie boarding is it's, so it's super fun. fun. Surfing's hard. Mm-hmm. It's so hard. Yeah. Anyone can boogie board. Yeah. It's just fun. It's like a step up from body boarding because you have yeah. like a, a thing to hold on to and then you just go wee. Oh my god, boogie boarding is so fun. That's my jam. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, and she also had a thousand dollar Trek mountain bike and an unopened bottle of opium perfume. Hmm. Yeah. I think it's probably a nice one. Yeah. Uh, Dana apparently talked about her new boogie board all the way to the station. <laughs> That tickles me just right. <laughs> the fact that I just went off on a tangent about boogie boards. I, I can totally understand her talking about boogie boards the whole way to the station. She's like, I... You guys, surfing's really hard and boogie boarding's my jam. I love windsurfing, but let me tell you about boogie boarding. Oh my god. Um, Fun. So she um, had all this strong circumstantial evidence uh, against her okay. along with the threat of a death penalty dana eventually pled to life without the possibility of parole okay she made one condition however and that was that the state would not prosecute her for the murder of norma she didn't want the family one on her yeah on the books on october 16th 1998 dana was sentenced to life without parole and was incarcerated in the california women's prison in chowchilla it's a fun name chowchilla um, uh, so Dana was, um, housed for her own safety in the Riverside Jail's high security unit. Okay. Um, her cell was actually next to serial killer William Suff, AKA the Lake Elsner killer, who was convicting of murdering 12 sex workers. She's in the same jail as a man? Yeah. Which we've seen before. jail is that way <clears throat> and prison's different? I don't know. Maybe the 90s. You're separated though. Like, yeah, yeah. They're, they're, not... they're not commingling. I think her cell was just Got it. adjacent. He wasn't her celly. No. Just her neighbor. <laughs> God. <laughs> <laughs> um, she adapted quickly to jail, dubbing it her county condo. Oh my God. <laughs> I mean, she's funny. <laughs> She's psychotic. Yeah, I know. It's so funny. Um, she would. Uh, what is? Uh, She's da-da. gotta have prison pen pals. She's gotta have pen pals. She would bother the jailers to provide her with like a high maintenance civilian lifestyle. Like she'd be like, "Oh, why don't you she give is, me a TV? Why don't I'm you give me this?" She's not having relationships with guards. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> she insisted on a vegetarian diet. Demanded a visit from her chiropractor. Yeah, I feel like she's going to break out. She's going to convince some lonely, sad guard. Oh, she's Uh, getting out of that box, man. She complained that there were no mirrors. Oh, my God. Um, And then she drew chilling clown faces, a la Jane Wayne Gacy. Yeah, I think she knows that's weird. Um, And she she made these paints 
by using M&M's, cherry drink mix, blue eyeshadow, lipstick, and baby powder. Oh, my God. <laughs> I just imagine her, like, ask, like, imagine she, like, toilet wine. <laughs> Pruno? Yeah. yeah. But, like, I'm sure she, like, has, like, a favorite blend, like, that, that it's, like, <laughs> like it's fancy toilet wine. Is this from 2001? Yeah. This what kind the... of, what kind of, uh, you know. Peel run did yeah. you use? <laughs> Are the grapes um, from Tuesday's lunch or were they from last Thursday's? Um, um, she even refused Nikes that her family brought her because she was like, these aren't the like nice ones. These are a cheap version. So she's just wearing prison sneaks instead? Uh-huh. But she demanded the high-end models that she used to wear. Oh so she God. like refused this uh, like gift her family brought her. Are you visiting her in jail if that's a, rel- no. a relative of yours? No. She needs help. I don't know. I feel like she needs help. Not that she should be released, but I don't know if... I don't know. I don't know what you do for people who are obsessed with themselves. Yeah. I don't know if that's something that can be fixed. Maybe it can. I just don't... I'm speaking yeah, of ignorance. Yeah, I yeah, don't yeah. know. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure either. But it seems like she's doing well for herself in uh, jail. So. Making friends. Making... And... <laughs> Getting chiropractor visits. <laughs> oh, well, that was Dana. Good one. Thank you. Yeah. She's straight cray. <laughs> yeah. Haven't done a, a lady killer in a while, so. And we both did one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you did one, too. Yeah. <laughs> so long ago. Um, all right. Well, that's been another episode. Thank you so much for listening. Um, if you like what, you're, what you hear, can you give us a comment on iTunes? Because it's super cool when we see it. Hit us up on the web. <laughs> oh, yeah. Hit us up on Instagram. We love chatting with you. Um, and we'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Killer Cocktails. As always, on our talent was Jackie Andrea. Uh, be sure to check out our Instagram at Killer Cocktails Podcast or stop by our website, KillerCocktailsPodcast.com, for up to date information, photos, contests, and more. Our logo was created by Michelle Firm, whose amazing art can be found at MichelleFirmDesign.com. Our music was created by Nikolai Heidlis. And we'll be back next week on hashtag Murder Mondays. <laughs> Start. Is it pussers? Or is it... Pr- There's an R, right? It's pressers. No, it's pussers. No, it's not. It's P-U-S-S-E-R. Oh. Mm. Apostrophe S. I'd look that up. Pronunciation. <laughs> <laughs>